0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Mastering Dungeons. I am Sean Merwin, here with, for the first time in a couple weeks, my co-host, Teos Alpha Stream Abadia. Hey, Teos, what's going on?
1: Hey, Sean. Oh, man, I had such a good time on the flight home listening to you and Mike Shea break down the news. That was super cool. You guys are, are the best. And um, it, it, made me, it, it brought me back to the days of just being a listener, you know, and like, enjoying how all this was done from the outside and yeah it was it was kind of fun it was a really neat perspective on it
0: well you'll you'll have to uh do a show with just you and and mike and then i can sit back and listen (laughs)
1: there you go
0: and mock you Uh, mst3k style
1: but i get good feelings i mean listening to that and um game Hole Con is coming we'll talk about that and then uh it was my my parents 50th anniversary yeah uh, wedding anniversary and that was just like really fun to be able to be there uh and and see that and, and reflect on on all of that relationships and love and all those good times mm-hmm. and and uh soaked
0: up the fine italian atmosphere
1: i did uh you know the covid whole thing makes it very difficult to do that uh I was just constantly like i can't believe that person's not wearing a mask and that kind of thing but mm-hmm. um but in and around that, working with their whole green pass they have for, like, eating at places and stuff like that, we had wonderful food. I basked in and was inspired by the Voltaren landscape, which is, like, just a total medieval city, the way you want it to be. I could imagine, like, in the Dungeon Master's Guide from AD&D where they have, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the wizard that rides by on oh, the... Oh, Emmerkle. Emmerkle, yeah. And 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 I was totally, like, imagining, you know, he could go down this street and I'd turn another street. He could be running down this street it was, just, it was great so there's a lot of kind of neat ideas that were in my mind about things to write and do so
0: cool <laughs> i hope you come came back refreshed and and ready yeah. to to spe- spend some long days and nights a game whole god. indeed indeed well with that we'll get right into our news and commentary uh the first is a bit of sad news and surprising uh, hasbro ceo brian goldner has passed away uh he's been the ceo for a few years and he's overseen sort of this growth of of wizards of the coast uh and he took a medical leave and then two days later passed away uh from from cancer uh i we assume and so you know it's it's sad news i've watched him now you know as he as he's started to discuss D and D and magic and stuff in press conferences yeah. and and on different shows, so um, you know, we condolences obviously to him and his family, and then we will keep an eye on on Hasbro uh, on the business side of things to to you know see if if this changes anything the, the way Watsy and and role playing games uh, are run, yeah. So, uh, and seemed that... well,
1: from all the the notices, seemed well liked and, uh, in a stable hand, right? And that's, that's always interesting when that changes to see how yeah. that goes.
0: Chris Cox, the, the president of Wizards of the Coast, you know, had some remarkable things to say about him and, you know, what a great person he was and just kind person. So, um, you know, we, we hope that, uh, the company and his family, uh, can carry on. And you know, to stay on the business side of things, there was an article in ICV2 that talked about Wizards of the Coast being almost a billion-dollar business. Uh, and so they shared some numbers because Hasbro is now sharing numbers from Wizards of the Coast, whereas they never did in the past. Uh, Wizards of the Coast had $816 million in sales in 2020, uh, including Magic and D&D, with magic revenue up 23% and D and D revenue up 33%
1: for the year. Wow. It, it feels like a broken record. Like we just keep right. saying this and these percents just add and yeah. Sean, I don't understand economics. Are we at a hundred yet?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> How can we be over a hundred? Uh, well, because they're selling a lot of, a lot of books and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a record year for both. Um, and then sales for the combined Watsity and digital, digital gaming, because those two are put together, were up as a whole 19% from 761 million in 2019 to 906 million in 2020. So Watsy and digital gaming, almost a billion dollars in 2020 of wow. revenue. And, yeah. you know, being. If you are in any way tied in the business, you say, "Okay, great revenue. Revenue is great, but what are your expenses?" Right. Because you know, you tell me you made a million dollars. That's great. If you spent two million to make it, I'm not impressed. Right. So the the number that they gave was their operating profit for Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming was four hundred and twenty point four million dollars.
1: Not bad. That's
0: that. I mean, that's nuts. It's a better
1: year than I had, Sean.
0: Yes, yes, it's a better year <laughs> than 420 million of us had, uh, yeah. and and uh, and so wh- while that's astounding and great news, the warning bells go off in my mind, yeah, because you know what's coming, right? You you yeah. the C the you know the the high level executives say, wow, we can make 420 million, so if we spend more. Then we're going to make more, right?
1: Right. So let's about, just. I'd like to see five hundred million for next year, Sue and uh, Bob. Right. If you could make sure that that revenue, you know, triples, yeah. that'd be great. Exactly,
0: exactly. So, uh, trying to top something that is amazing and remarkable uh, and unexpected sometimes leads down dark paths. Yeah. So, so we'll see.
1: I mean, you know, but we've hit so many times when I thought D&D was going to lose its soul. And by that, yeah. I mean not make the products that we're used to, right? Because mm-hmm. those only have made but so much money in the past. Right. And yet we still got awesome games the True. way we'd want it. And there are a lot of people at Wizards that want that, right? And, and, and at WotC that want – they still want to see the same games we've always been in love with. And I think as long as that continues – we can weather the other stuff, right? There always exactly. there always be these little shenanigans and the whatever's. But if the game still feels like the game, we're going to be okay.
0: Yep, and that's that's where I land as well. Um, and we what we don't know, or at least what I didn't see, was you know in what segments of Dungeons and Dragons w- was revenue up? Was it up because they're licensing its name all over the place and sales are actually you know good, but not, but it's the T-shirts 33%. and the mugs. Exactly. So, right. Uh, yeah. So we'll just for our listeners, we'll keep an eye on things and and let you know more news as it comes in.
1: And, and I think uh, that's both good and bad. You know, just to add here quickly, Sean, that that uh, mm-hmm. like on this digital side, right? These whole video game things have the chance of overshadowing tremendously financially what's actually going on from the side that we might care about as fans of mm-hmm. the tabletop paper game, right. but that's also good because it just means that if, if someone in management comes up with some bizarre, you know, please triple revenue, uh, well, then they could make three times as many video games. True. And the game could continue to be the game we think about, and there's just yep. more, you know, video games out there, and that's they can have that, and it's all fine, and who cares? <laughs> you know? sure. so, so some of that's often handy, whereas in the past, Wizards uh, or D&D has often had to compare in a way it couldn't, right? Like, here's a card game that everybody just completely pays constantly for be that. And it's like, well, I don't know how. Right. And so as we get into more of this, uh, where, where D and D has more possibilities then overall, the units can make the money and the game can be the game. Hopefully. Yep. Yep. Hopefully.
0: And, you know, from one business news to another business <laughs> news. Um, so, uh, Paizo has announced or the workers at Paizo have announced that they are forming A union, United Paizo Workers. Um, This is in response to some news that working conditions there may have been less than stellar. Um, And as far as we know, this is the first uh, union of its kind in the role-playing game industry. Um, And so where it goes from here is an interesting question uh, in in many different ways. I'm going to let you take over here.
1: Thanks. Yeah. So this has been, I mean, it's fascinating, right? And, and, and what's really fascinating is it wasn't like we are going to form a union. It was, we have formed a union. We've actually been talking about this for a long time behind the scenes. We've been talking to employees, working on things. Uh, and what has happened is that with those stories that we all talked about a couple of weeks ago, where there was this Paizo accountability movement that catalyzed and pushed forward this effort that was already underway Uh, which is fascinating because it it is a union and the union is a super majority of employees. More than 30 have formed it and it cuts across all of the names. I mean, I saw Logan Bonner, who's the lead developer for Paizo, right? For Pathfinder, um, editors, sales managers, developers, customer service, you name it. There are people there. it's really a large part of the company that has joined it and they're not calling for a boycott. They're not calling for a strike. Though there is an interesting element we'll talk about with freelancers in a bit. Um, And what's going to happen is on October 25th, which is a week from when we're recording, um, UPW, the the Union of United Paizo Workers, is calling on the executive team, that's Jeff Alvarez, Eric Mona, and Lisa Stevens, to accept the union. And Paizo basically has two choices. They can say, Yes, we recognize you. And then we go into contract negotiation and both sides present their arguments. Uh, UPW can request financials so that there's transparency and understanding of what's going on for the company and what the company has to deal with and, and is up against. Uh, and then they can make all their requests, right? Better working conditions, all these kinds of things. Uh, what the UPW is saying is they think it's all very reasonable and all very necessary. Um, that it doesn't involve anything that would threaten PISO's business and, in fact, could strengthen it. So Paizo could say yes, and they move forward and then they just have to negotiate that out and, and have that contract agreement. And then that collective bargain agreement goes into play and, and we're done. Or Paizo could say, we're going to fight this. And what that does is require the labor board to call an election and see whether enough of the employees say, yes, indeed, I'm joining this union formally. Um, because they already have a supermajority of signed support among eligible employees, Paizo either has to hope that that's somehow vastly wrong, which it isn't, or they have to work to change the numbers, uh, convince employees to move to the other side, uh, hire or fire people, which has a lot of legal issues attached to it and can play very poorly. And now that they've got so much scrutiny online, Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's kind of limited. So it'll be very interesting to see what, what Paizo does just a week from now, um, And the last bit of this is that apparently behind the scenes had already been going on something with freelancers. Uh, And and in a thread on Twitter, uh, they shared that Paizo's model is built on freelancers, using them for the vast majority of words that are written. There are about 35 people working on products at Paizo and then more than 40 freelancers uh, and and, and about 40 of those decided to freeze work uh, about a month ago. And refused to do work, even if they were halfway through prod, product uh, projects, uh, demanding specific actions. And this was unrelated to the union formation. Mm-hmm. But when the union formation moved forward because of those allegations that came out a couple of weeks ago, then they joined forces and said to management, we will go back to work if you... Uh, recognize the UPW. So it's additional pressure to say those freelancers who were striking independently on their own over here, they'll come back to work if you say yes to this. So that is further pressure on it. So this is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And of course, yeah. whichever way it goes, the rest of the industry is watching and learning and, and adapting. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, there there are so many issues that could come up, not just with PISO, but with all of the companies that uh, make role-playing games and and have
1: similar employees. Well, and I think we've, we've been wanting this, right. And we've said mm -hmm. this on the show for a long time. Like it is time for companies to step up and, 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 and pay more. And if you feel like you can't make it work, you've got to think about your industry different because differently, because there are companies that are getting it done. There's almost Mm -hmm. no excuse for you to not get it done. So you need to find a way to do it. Yeah. Yep.
0: So one more thing that we'll keep an eye on, uh, especially when next week rolls around and we'll see how a Paizo's executives respond. So some more news. Uh, The DMs Guild has announced community heralds. So uh, this is the quote. I think we should read it out. One bookshelf is testing a brand ambassador program via dungeon masters guild, and we'd love you to join us. DMs Guild community heralds are content creators in the broader D&D community. YouTubers, streamers, podcasters, bloggers, reviewers, etc. They might also be guild creators, but most importantly, they're celebrating the vast community of creators on the Dungeon Masters Guild in addition to their own works. So this is spreading the, the gospel of content on the DMs Guild through these heralds. It's Did you?
1: interesting
0: dig down into the form
1: yeah i did in in fact i applied for it and at first i wasn't going to uh, because i looked at my numbers and some months i hit their minimum level some months i don't Mm -hmm. um and so I, i i said that and i the reason i applied is i'd love to help this be a good program because sometimes programs are um well, they were great for the company, you know, right. <laughs> because right. this program, uh, at the very least, it's like, hey, please, more people talk about us. Sure. I, who doesn't want free advertising? But, you right. know, we all do like the DMs girl. It's not like the DMs Guild is the Asian of evil. They aren't. Um, nor is one bookshelf. Um, but, you know, how does this work for everybody? And what they're particularly wanting are the sort of like YouTubers, streamers, podcasters, that kind of thing to mm-hmm. sort of step up their game and then have a rewards program for them. But it's kind of tough. Like you and I will often review things on the guild, but you know nobody is going, or very few people I think are going to click the link. They're going to right. hear it and they're going to look it up, and so that doesn't create an affiliate reward on our end. Right. Same thing. Like I listen to a lot of YouTube videos where they might talk about someone's awesome guild product, and I just open up another tab on my browser and I search mm-hmm. for the product and I pick it up, and so they don't get an affiliate reward. And so I I don't know how it's sort of lining up. And I'd be curious to to do some data digging for the DMs Guild, if they were to pick me, to try to look at that and see, you know, hey, when we promote a product, do we get, you know, if we were to use, a, say, a tracking code to look at it and see whether it actually creates any affiliate sales? Because I, I feel like some platforms that they would obviously want more intensity with, like more YouTube mm-hmm. mentions... Don't correlate exactly to affiliates, right? Whereas a blog is pretty transparent. You're reading the blog entry, you click on it, you go there. Right. You know, I, I see a lot of that on my end, but yeah. yeah. So I'm so I'm curious how this will play out and how it'll change.
0: Yeah, I mean it. it this this is sort of the nuts and bolts of marketing. Uh, trying to market in the business we're in is how do we not just get people get eyes on our stuff, but how do we know that the eyes on our stuff are coming from a certain place? Yeah. Um, and there's no foolproof way as Teo says to do that. Uh, so while it's a cool program and if it is able to set the breadcrumbs correctly to lead from the mention to the sale, then great. Uh, otherwise it's just sort of free advertising. Uh, yeah. so, uh, interesting program. Uh, as as we get more sophisticated with our marketing tools in the RPG space, um we may see even more programs like this or um sort of not mutated but but uh, yeah. an evolving yeah evolving. uh evolving uh way to look at this. Uh we mentioned game hole we will be there by the time you hear this show we will be at game hall con probably recording the next one because yeah. <laughs> Teos and I are uh, recording a live mastering dungeons panel on Thursday at 1 PM. So if you're at the show and you want to be you know, in the, in the audience and shout out horrible things to us, we'd love to hear it uh, Thursday I mean, at 1 PM.
1: I'm just saying, Sean, it could be good things. It could be, it could, could be. be. It,
0: yeah. Why not? <laughs> uh so what, what else are what else are you doing there, Teos?
1: Well, I mean, you and I are doing the fine art of the micro dungeon, uh, mm-hmm. that panel. That should be really cool. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Um, I am running the Adventure of the Clockwork Tower on Thursday and Friday. Oh, and I should say that panel is Saturday, 3 p.m. Yeah, so it's Thursday, 1 p.m. is our Mastering Dungeons live recording mm-hmm. and panel. These are all central, central time. Uh, Saturday at 3 p.m., we're doing our fine art of the micro dungeon. I'm running uh, full tables of The Adventure My Son and I Wrote, The Clockwork Tower, on Thursday and Friday. And then you and Greg Marks are talking about horror games on Sunday.
0: Sunday morning, yep, we're doing uh, How how to Run Horror. And I'm also doing two workshops on – I'm going to go with Thursday and Saturday. Uh, where people have submitted some work and we're going to go over it uh, as a group and just to to talk about game design uh, using people's real work as, as the, the canvas that we're going to paint on. Awesome. Uh, And then. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do some live, live uh, stream games, not, not as DMS or GMs, but as players Uh, I'm doing one on. Oh, you're, you're, you're doing it too. uh, 10 a.m. Central on Friday.
1: Yeah, that's
0: right. Poor Claire Hoffman is going to be DMing um, you and me and Alan Patrick and Bill Benham. So that should be something.
1: Yeah, fortunately, Claire is made out of reinforced steel. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not worried for her sanity. I'm worried for ours. But um, yep, yeah, I've played with Bill Benham before. That's always a wild ride. And, and, and you as yeah. well. So this is, yeah, Alan Patrick. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, You've got your I've own in, games going on. Yeah. yeah. Aliens live stream, that should be uh, face-huggingly horrible. That's 10 a.m. Central on Saturday. And these are all part of the Demiplane uh, experience that's taking place there. And so on their Twitch channel, Demiplane RPG, um, you can watch these live as they happen. Uh, They recently, on their Twitter account, shared the full schedule of all the really cool games they've got going on. And they're doing all of this as part of a donation to Extra Life, so you can join their extra life team and donate to those efforts. I think Claire is going to have some special rules for our game where mm-hmm. if you donate, you know, shenanigans are enabled. So that should be good. We we love shenanigans being enabled for charity.
0: Uh, speaking of shenanigans, I'm doing another podcast. Yes, no offense, are. Teos. I, I, as much as I enjoy uh, my time with you, I just, yeah. Yeah, you know, the internet no, couldn't get enough fine. of me. Apparently, no,
1: don't worry, Sean. I, I got another <laughs> podcast too. It's um, Tales Talks. It's really good.
0: Yeah, so mm-hmm. the podcast that I'm I'm on uh, is called the Eldritch Lorecast, and it's uh, done through Ghostfire Gaming. I chat weekly with Ben Byrne, the host and a professional DM from down under, uh, Dale Kingsmill, who is Monarch's Factory on YouTube a brilliant analyst of the game. And one Mr. James Hake, who is my coworker at uh, Ghostfire and D&D designer extraordinaire.
1: So I watched the first episode and, and I do have one bit of constructive feedback and that is that you and James have terrible Australian accents. We do. We should we should work on that. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise I, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Dale and Ben being both Australian, um, I I do fear the day that I accidentally start slipping <laughs> into a horrible Australian accent just because that's the way my brain works. Yep. So uh, I, you just should watch the show just for that.
1: <laughs> just for that uh, moment.
0: Just for that moment when yep. everyone stares in horror as Sean uh, <laughs> Sean starts his Australian accent.
1: Yep. Honorary but, Australian.
0: You know, I think we we should probably should save some news for for uh, Game Con when we do the yeah. panel there. So uh, let's move on then uh, to our main topic, which is maybe possibly the final installment of our strong beginnings segments. Ooh. So if you've been listening, you in the past you know that we've been taking each of the Watsi hardcover books and taking a deep dive into their openings to let DMs know maybe some strengths or some pitfalls they might find if they are trying to run it, especially as a new DM. And we've covered everything now, except Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus and Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostbaden, or at least the older ones that have been out for more than a few months. So, uh, I feel like we're getting into territory now. I know that with Icewind Dale, we, you and I covered this in, in detail already. Right. But it's not fresh in my mind, so it'll be good to go back and look. Cool. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus. Uh, so w- overall, what I thought was interesting about these two adventures and their openings and how they're, they're set up for the DM is they're almost opposites of each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh Baldur's Gate gives a an overview that's sort of a one paragraph summary of what the whole adventure is. So it tells the DM, you know, in in a very short paragraph, here's the whole adventure, here's what's happening. Excellent way to start. Not going into too much detail, but letting the DM just getting their feet wet in terms of what they're going to be running. Um there's a flow chart that gives one or two sentences about what each chapter is. It didn't necessarily need to be a flow chart because it's sort of just going in one right. direction. But hey, if, if your brain absorbs information in a nice little box that's set off from regular text, great. There's a little flow chart telling you what each chapter is. It, I like tell you it.
1: The, it tells you the levels for each one. True. which is handy. So, you, yep. know, you know, that chapter one is levels one to four, chapter two, five to six and so on. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not like it's like amazing information, but by having it visually, you can just, Oh yeah. Okay. It stands yep. out.
0: Yep. Uh, and then you get the adventure overview. This gives a more in-depth su- summary of everything that goes on in the adventure and what the characters will be doing as they go through. And I found this extremely helpful. Uh, I thought it was very useful to have it, you know, go from the one paragraph summary and these little short sentences for each chapter into something that the DM can say, all right, if I'm running this full adventure, what am I going to be doing? And boom, it's all laid out for you. You know, maybe a page. I read it on screen, so I don't know how long it was in a book, Mm but you know, probably less than a page where it, uh, where it tells you everything.
1: Yeah, because of the flowchart, it's really two pages of text, pages five and six, that are giving you the overview, and then background is another, you know, two to three pages, um, which is is not bad, um, and especially because of its how it's written, I f- I think it all feels like, um, you know, one paragraph leads to another. It's that kind of, of writing that feels shorter than it is because Mm -hmm. it's giving you the right information it's not telling you a little bit but leaving things out it's not confusing it's all direct and so Mm -hmm. it goes quickly and i think excites you because with a book like this you're like how am i going to end up with the characters in hell right and and it's telling you that and it's telling you the why and the how and exciting you as it goes so it all feels very good whereas some of the other adventures we looked at maybe aren't necessarily longer like i'm thinking like of out of the abyss but it's not written in a way that feels short. It feels long. And now the right. factions. And now this chunk of things. And it all feels a little disjointed, right? Yeah, This doesn't.
0: And I like the fact, normally when you read an adventure, you get the adventure background, then the adventure overview. They switched this around. And I think that was very important because yeah. the adventure background is kind of convoluted but it's very essential to the story. Yeah, The characters will be interacting with all of the creatures and people and places that that are in the background uh, of the adventure. So I love that the overview was first and we get what we're doing. And now we're going to find out why we're doing it. And I feel like sometimes if they had put the adventure background first, I would have felt lost.
1: Yes, um, agreed. And And that's that kind of thinking that I appreciate in products a lot when someone Mm -hmm. has looked at this and and said, here's how this makes more sense to the reader, right? Here's how it's easier to run. And it's simply by switching the order of this. And it's like, yes. Yep. Yep.
0: And then we get two more sections, one on role-playing devils and one on life in the nine hells. And- very important information for, for the adventure. So it's great that it was put into the overview. And again, I'm glad they put it after the overview because now you know that you're going to be going there and what's going to be happening there. So you can actually absorb the information and know not only what that information is, but how you're going to end up using it in the long run. And I think with some supplements I've seen and probably some I've written, we, we put this stuff first, and again without giving an anchor to the dm uh so they know what they're doing the the information can sometimes be a little uh
1: yeah just joined to nebulous the, yeah yeah a yeah, little, to little too nebulous yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, so all of that goes into chapter one or, you know, the, the opening, the intro, which is the adventure overview. Then we get to chapter one, which is the actual adventure itself, the first part of it. Uh, is there anything you want to say about the overview before we get to?
1: I mean, I just have to give some kudos to whoever came up with the wonderful headers around life in the nine hells called everyone's unhappy. Everything's yep. awful. Like. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and then to follow it up with Chapter One, A Tale of Two Cities. I mean, right? That's some good work, right there.
0: It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times, (laughs) kind of. Yeah. So, A Tale of Two Cities, Chapter One. So you know right away uh, because you're told that the encounters are meant to take characters from levels one to four. Good to know that, Uh, and so the adventure begins at the Basilisk Gate. And right away, there's a long bit of box text. And when I see a long bit of box text, my first thought is, no, oh, no. In this case, I'll I'll accept it. And I'm accepting it because it's trying to do several things at once. It's trying not only to set the scene for the characters and describe where they are, but it's also trying to give the background of the whole adventure, which is the city of El Terrell, uh falling into <laughs> hell. Yeah. And while show don't tell is fine advice for fiction writing, uh, it's not always the best for adventure writing because showing takes a lot more words and a lot more work for the writer and for the DM. Than just telling sometimes, so I'm I'm cool with this setup, yeah. especially at the beginning of a long and convoluted adventure.
1: Like you can imagine that you could have instead had a scene whereby this information would be imparted, but you know sometimes you just need to collapse some space together, and mm-hmm. having it in one long read piece, I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem yeah. when it's doing that function that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's if not you're just describing a room for whatever's that's overly complicated, right. it's telling you important facts you should know and, and hopefully exciting you. Yep. The important part, I think, is after you do a long box text like this, you really want to then engage the characters. And, and yes. as a DM, I really focus. If I see a giant chunk of text like this, I know that right after I do this, I can't go. So what do you do? Like, mm-hmm. That's not going to play well. You've got to say, and now engage you. Right. Like, right. Right. But you got to get
0: it going. Right. Because the that's absolutely, absolutely true. Uh, the players are going to be digesting all of this and they, they need a prompt at that point um, because there's way too much going on. And their prompt is pretty, pretty well uh, hammered on here. Uh, the flaming fist is in charge of Baldur's gate and So all of these refugees from El Terrell are trying to get into the city. Uh, They're being kept out. And the captain at the Basilisk Gate, Captain Zaj, uh, has other problems that he needs dealt with. But he doesn't have time to do it because he's trying to deal with the refugees. So he finds the characters and sort of drafts them to investigate the dead three. The, uh, it's three dead gods, yeah.
1: It's funny how they, they do this. They're sort of like, um, you know, you, you you know via this box text you're supposed to go talk to this guy. If you don't, he comes and gets you or sends people to fetch you. And that sort of continues throughout this, where if, if you go off script, you know, soldiers of the Flaming Fist will show up and yeah. bring you here because yeah. you've been conscripted. There's no two ways about it.
0: Right. and And you can call that heavy-handed if you want. I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all because DMs who are comfortable running their own thing, running things their own way, can do whatever they want. DMs who need this this path, and I'm generally one of those DMs who likes to see the path. And so I can follow this path. It's very clear. Uh, It makes sense. We have this other problem. I can't deal with it now. You deal with it. I'll pay you to deal with it. But if you decide not to deal with it, you will pay. (laughs) So let's go.
1: Yeah. Where I, where I have some comments on, on how this is done is that some DMS may read this enormous amount of text. It's possible that a player goes, okay, we go see captain Zodge. Then the DM reads, Two paragraphs of box text, pauses, and reads three paragraphs of box text. Yeah. And that's a bad start, right? Because now you have many paragraphs of box yeah. text, and we've just been in novel time. And what I would have liked to have seen here is a sort of call to the characters to engage them a bit more, to yeah. ask them some questions. Like, it's fine to say now go find Captain Zodge, but maybe if there had been a scene that they encounter, And they relate to, right? A soldier is doing a particular thing. How do you get involved or do you not? Now you meet Captain Zodge and Captain Zodge first starts out by asking you each a question, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a thing you see all the time in organized play works much better when you hit them with a a personal question that sort of serves as a character introduction, right? That's Even if it's the simple, you know, tell me of your exploits or something like that, but it just gets people talking and and breaks up that box text. And, And it doesn't have this here. Instead, it's got sort of information for the DM, and that can lead you a bit into you know where if you if you're not especially if you're not prepped, and you don't want to sure. look at all these paragraphs. You just end up reading three giant chunks of box text, and which is you know so yep,
0: very true. Uh, so the 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 quest line is pretty clear. Uh, Zaj asks you to first go to the Elf Song Tavern, where there's a spy who he knows. The spy has information that he needs, so he tells the characters get the information from the spy, Uh, and then off you go to the Elf Song Tavern. Um, It gets interesting here because there are some pretty powerful characters in the Elf Song Tavern, and the Mm -hmm. Elf Song Tavern is quite a renowned place in D and D lore from the video game, right? So you know that was put in probably because remember at this point the Baldur's Gate 3 video game uh was being designed and developed so you know there may have been a thought that oh this is something we're going to see again so we need to hit all of the classic locations of Baldur's Gate uh Elfsong Tavern being one of the most popular uh now when the characters get there it's there there's There's things that you can do in the Elf Song Tavern other than just find the spy. Uh, I don't know if a good reason is given to do any of these things. Uh, And I might have liked to see that because it's cool to say who's, you know, in this room and who's in that room and who's doing what. But if you have no reason to go to these places, it's sort of wasted text, Mm -hmm. Uh, at least in my opinion. So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and I like some of the possibilities, like the whole hearing the elf song and thinking through what it means. You know, there's some nice pieces there. There's there there are interesting NPCs and and event and but it, but it is it. I think that a lot of DMs who are new would hit this and find it's it's a it's a a lot of text compared to the amount that you are using at any given moment and the routing mm. isn't super clear so i would have right. liked to be i would have liked this to be event driven i just think that's such a good default for a hardback adventure mm-hmm. uh that especially early on in the chapters where it's meant to be easy you want to give your you want to give your player your, your dm solid footing and mm. then later you can throw in interesting creative devices but um but this is a little sort of too open with all, you know where you you have all these rooms described and you, you probably won't need half of them, but you know, here's what in, it's in this room in and amongst events and things that are happening. And so if you separate that out and had really events or just, I don't know, don't detail the rooms that don't matter, like right. in any particular way, don't eat up words on that and just focus on things that are going to be useful and important. I yeah. think would have made this easier.
0: I, I would even rather just see, here are some things you could put in rooms and then give a bulleted list. Um, because that sort of gets across not only the the content of what could be there, but makes it more likely that a DM will put their own spin on it rather than feeling like they have to stick to the map that's yeah. provided.
1: And sometimes I think a, a situation like this would actually be better without a map. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe a map of the Commons room, but other than that, just you know, so and so NPC X has rooms upstairs. NPCY right. has rooms downstairs. You don't need to have a map of it, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I know we, we are playing more on virtual tabletops, but I feel like it, it just it creates a false expectancy of sort of clearing the dungeon, which is not what you do in the tavern, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, Yeah. And then if, you know, regardless of what else is going on in the tavern, you're there to find the spy. And the spy has a problem of her own. Uh, She is being hunted down by some pirates who Mm -hmm. she double crossed and she will not give the information the characters need until she is safe from these pirates. Unfortunately, the pirates are a bandit captain who's CR two and then seven bandits who are, are, you know, are only CR maybe one eighth, but that's seven of them. And a bandit captain at CR2 is pretty powerful for level a level one party. And I know that I heard a lot of reports of TPKs and some bad, bad stuff happening um, at the Elf Saw when they dealt with these pirates. One of the things that could help with that is if there were NPCs there that the characters had a reason to talk to become friends with who could then help yes. them during that fight and i don't read yeah. don't think we got we may it may have been implied but it wasn't stated yeah. outright
1: yeah and and i think that's a thing that as designers we often make the mistake of thinking that well players will improvise yes and no right and and, and we also think and we make the mistake i think that if we offer some avenues that are like too obvious that that will cheapen the experience. And I don't find that's ever the case. Uh, I think players very easily think that an obvious clue is totally something they came up with. Oh, yeah. Like, like, they quickly internalize it and adopt it and go like, yeah, oh, smart. Yeah, you know, now we're on this. And, and then it feels like a lot of fun, which is really what we're after, right? We're not after a bloody fight that they can barely win. We're after sort of making the characters feel awesome about stuff and, and, and having this be fun, especially since it's the first real scene uh, that involves some conflict. Um, so yeah, I I agree with you. I would have liked to have here more of a, there's this interesting location. How do you make the most of it such that by the time this pirate shows up, you're set up to win? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: We we used to joke about hitting the players with the clue by four Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and you can never hit them hard or (laughs) strong enough. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's, it is, uh, something that a lot of people will not miss but you're totally right when they do get it even though it's obvious to you as the writer or the dm they feel like they were the cleverest right uh, people
1: ever to to come up with it because they are uh the, yeah and the other way to do this which is used a lot in other games is where you say where you we basically provide a list of ingredients and say that any of these can be woven together to make a meal right any of mm-hmm. these can be a solution so if you say uh captain zodge which there are some here like captain zodge is open to bribery right? Mm -hmm. Although it's too much money. Um, so it's sort of not quite an avenue. Um, but there are things like, if you say they're open to bribery, they are, can easily be led into an ambush. Members of their team can be broken up and taken into different groups and handled separately. Um, People on the ship have lax uh, uh, security, right? If you, mm-hmm. if you give enough of those things, now you have a menu of options and the players can easily learn tips and you have to tell the DM this, but the players can learn any of these things and go after it the way they want. And you have very open play and sort of a list of capabilities, right? Without providing extensive information or scenes, you just let the players and DM collaborate on that. That's another way to do it. The, I don't like the in-between where we're thinking that could all happen. Like this tells us there is a ship. Right. It tells us there's bribery, but there really aren't paths that enable that that well. True. Very true. Um, I do like all of the color here. The characters are awesome. Oh, the yeah. scene is awesome. There's a lot here that I do really, really like.
0: Yeah. It, it's not the, the, the ingredients aren't the problem. It's the recipe mm-hmm. uh, that you just, you could probably make a beautiful uh, you know quiche mm-hmm. with this. Uh <laughs> But the uh, you know sometimes the recipe might need to be tweaked just a bit uh, depending on you as the DM or or your players uh, players that just come at everything with a big axe and hope to win because they're the players might find themselves in trouble uh, at the elf song.
1: Right. And, 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 and that's, that's where you need to, yeah. you give them tips, right? You you have to give those players tips and you have to make it feel like skill checks and other things are just as cool as hitting something with their hammer or ax. Mm-hmm. So you, 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 that's the challenge, right? And, and make it fun for them. So they don't feel non-engaged like, Oh, I'll let that talky character handle this. No, you have, you want to motivate everybody to be thinking of a solution.
0: Mm-hmm. True. Uh, so that's the very, very beginning of the adventure. Uh, it is uh, from there they do go. Characters do go to a dungeon, um, the dungeon of the Dead Three. Dead Three. Yep, and it's a it's a pretty beefy dungeon uh, for for uh, first level characters. So you might want to get them to second level there uh, before they the one with
1: the fireball, right?
0: Yes, mm-hmm. because we do, we love to fireball first level characters. <laughs> uh, hey, so... We used
1: to do it in third level, yeah. third edition,
0: all the time, all the time. So uh so just you know get them the second level and and be be ready for that but uh yeah. if you can get them through the elf song tavern uh in one piece you're off to a to a fine start. Uh next we should talk about the final adventure that we're going to do in this series. Uh Icewind Dale ram of the Frostmaid. Uh I'm going to turn it over to Teos here to lead you through the the sure. beginning.
1: Yeah, so um, I think that this this does a pretty good job. In it's, a, I think actually this has some parallels to the previous adventure. While it's a different approach, it sort of has the same sort of benefits and, and, and hindrances. Um, in that we get an adventure summary uh, that starts us off, and this at first sort of has a. Um, <laughs> I think it attempts to provide a good overview of what's happening. Right. However. It kind of doesn't in that I wish this adventure summary, well, this adventure summary is actually like a background with two of the story hooks that are going on. It focuses on the Dwergar and the Netherese Necropolis. Uh, Then it goes about the rhyme. And the thing is, that's not how this adventure plays out. And so while it gives me neat parts of this experience, it isn't doing what Descent into Avernus told me where it says, hey, we're going to do this. Then we're going to mm-hmm. do that. Then we're going to do the other. This actually really confuses you. I think right. sets you up wrong as to what the adventure is going to feel like and how it plays out. This is not an adventure summary. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's trying to be. Maybe it was at one point in development. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, the adventure summary sort of fails because the adventure itself fails. And you know, there's no other way to say it. And it, it's still a fun adventure. Yes. Uh, it, c- it can be lots of fun to play, but in, just in terms of the design, it doesn't deliver what it had promised. So it's hard to write an adventure summary when your adventure can go in many different directions, including directions that you really weren't expecting it to go.
1: Well, and I think we're, you know, what is the adventure summary? The adventure summary is you're going to have some quests in the Ten Towns, then you're mm-hmm. going to move to locations in Icewind Dale around the Ten Towns. Then you're going to deal with the Rhyme, and then you're going to go to a lost city. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're told here. We're instead <laughs> exactly. told about Dwergar, about a Netherese city. It's yeah. not in, you know, this is not the summary. These are sort of like, here are various themes that are going on. And yeah. this would have been fine, I think, as information that maybe followed that summary. It's sort of the way Avernus did it, right? But right. but it, it's it's it, in fact, what it's a summary of is a warning. This adventure <laughs> is going to surprise you with what it's actually doing throughout the (laughs)
0: the adventure yes and Um, you as the dm are going to be surprised at where you may end up uh, throughout the adventure
1: and it similarly goes into running the adventure section which you think would then be like again more like tool-based and maybe summary based and and flowcharty. but instead is you know it talks about maps and it talks about the Forgotten Realms, and uh, it does give you a little bit of the chapter breakdown in the adventure flow section, though I don't find that it suitably is is really summing up the main points or, or feeding. It's it's better than what is before it, but it's still rather rough. Um, yeah. The flowchart gives us the, the usual thing of, of the levels and the chapters. Um, but I, I think because that first part didn't knock it out of the park. It's it's hard yeah. for it to land well. And what,
0: what yeah, what yeah. I found odd was that, you know, in this sort of the section after the adventure flow chart where it talks about survival, it talks about avalanches and blizzards and extreme cold and fishing and frigid waters and illumination and overland travel. We get more text about these sort of survival things in Icewind Dale than we do in hell. <laughs> yeah and yeah. you would think it would be the opposite i understand Icewind Dale is cold but you know you would think that hell would be the dangerous place to be yeah and it's it's icewindale that goes on for you know several sections about these things that well yeah don't really they can come into play but after a couple of levels they really don't
1: well, they don't even like there are individual encounters where these come up, but you didn't need to eat up this space here mm-hmm. for it. Like there is a section where you can do some fishing for knucklehead trout. That's right. where the fishing for knucklehead trout should be. And if you want to slam all this stuff into an appendix as a reference, cool. But it, yeah. here it takes you out of understanding what's happening. Yeah. because it it suddenly becomes a little rules supplement section and you know if folks go back and listen to where we covered this adventure in great detail we spent a lot of time on this because these are complicated things like an avalanche when you try to actually figure out what these rules do which took us yeah. i think two tries <laughs> it's super confusing and then you realize wow this is kind of a dud like for all of this text it's kind of a dud of a thing and why did yeah. you eat up all my time on this and So, yeah, it's, this is, this gets in the way of what this chapter is trying to do for a a DM. Yep. I, I totally agree. We do get some character background stuff, right? That's kind of neat. And in fact, one of the neat things is they add, in addition to to things like before where, you know, there's some ideas of if you're a charlatan, here's how it could play out on Icewind Dale. They give you um, character secrets. Mm -hmm. And those are neat because those are different than anything that's existed before. And it's supposed to be a way to add the kind of horror element. Um, usually sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a comedic or things like that, like being a fan of (laughs) Driss the horror kind of funny (laughs) given that he doesn't show up. But, uh, but, but, uh, but a lot of it is things like, you know, you, I don't don't want to spoil on him, but, but there's some fun things in here that come out in particular encounters. And so that's a nice device. Um, Mm -hmm. But overall, this chapter, oof. (laughs) Yeah. And And then we get to chapter one.
0: Exactly. Then we get to chapter one, which is the sort of the adventure itself, but not. Because you're still in the mode of exploration. They're still in the mode of explaining rather than uh, telling the DM what they're going to be doing. Uh, Yeah. So you know, there's a, rev- a review of the ten towns, rumors, quests that can happen in each of the ten towns, uh, and so you're still as the DM trying to suss out what is it that I'm running, what is it, how is it that that I'm going to get the characters into this adventure and then out the other side? Yeah, and it it takes a while. So you get to running the chapter, you get the 10 towns uh, overviews and more. Here's an ax beak and here's how, how they work and here's magic. And Oh, here are snowflake ratings for each of the towns, Uh, which which is cool. But you're still, as you're reading all of this saying to yourself, or at least I was saying to myself, how am I going to run this adventure? What actually is it?
1: Yeah. And, and, The information is in here, but it's obscured by everything else. And and I mean, you know, again, listeners saw that when we covered this, it took us many episodes to cover all the information and all the quests that are here, which is to say that when you read this book, you spend a lot of time going through this because one of the first things you're going to do is choose a town. Mm -hmm. And in choosing a town, you're going to have to read all of it. And what you find out is these towns and how they're written up don't necessarily deliver on those themes that we saw in the welcome section though they could but there's no roadmap here nothing tells us hey to run the dwergar theme choose these three towns or to run uh something that focuses on the rhyme more closely run these mm-hmm. um it's all just sort of scattered around uh and individual pieces are awesome right so if you're a writer mm-hmm. on this book hey hats off to you because the individual pieces are super cool the words are great but it just, it's whatever development management took place around it doesn't create an easy path for a DM. It, and in fact, de-emphasizes what this book is about, which is the rhyme of the Frostmaiden. It, mm. it, it's like if you watch one of the movies and suddenly somebody says the title and you're like, oh, I forgot that was the title. It's almost like that. know? Yeah.
0: You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, and... Finally, at the end of Chapter One, they give you two starting quests, and so now it's like, "Oh, okay, now this is how I start, yeah, oh well, and now that's I why need it's... To, now I need to go back and read everything I've already read right to to know what to do with this starting quest. Oh, it can happen in any town, oh, now I need to pick what town it's gonna start in uh this it'd... yeah.
1: An important design question is, you know, is your design fighting itself, right? Or is it working together? Mm -hmm. Um, And you've got these two starting quests, cold-hearted Killer and Nature Spirits, that will take you to several towns. Right. But you also have quests in the towns. Mm -hmm. And because it's sort of sandboxy, which is cool, but what it means because of how you've set this all up is you actually have to read all of this. Yeah. And you've got to choose your starting town. And then you may go to particular towns, whether you, the DM, want to or not, that you could push it. but And that's just, that's a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of great writing and detail here. But to read yep. all of this is a huge amount of prep. And, and even out of the abyss, you know, where there was just sort of this big area. That was a lot to read for a starting thing when you also have a bunch of NPCs. Here, it's even more, um, you know, some of these Places have entire dungeons. You have to read through to know what it all means, or three different quests in them. And and I wish they had just said, "Here's a here are two pa- either recommended paths, mm-hmm. or have it be a little more linear with hooks that can lead you to other places off of that linear path. So it is your own experience and adventure, and you do have the possibility to see more towns. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still easy to run and, and rewarding along a plot, right? Around, yeah. around, around the idea that you should be trying to fight the rhyme. And instead, this is all about forget about the rhyme. Every now and then we're going to tell you about the rhyme. <laughs> and then you'll suddenly right. deal with the rhyme when you least expect it. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and the, the end game in the Netherese city in the glacier, well, that's not even the first thing that comes to mind because there's the Shardland dragon. Yeah. So, you know, it there's, yeah.
1: yeah. it. It's a really interesting, uh, it's fascinating. A, a, yeah.
0: a, as the DM, if you put your mind to it, you can use this and the tools within it to run a super fun campaign, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, but be prepared to to do some work. Be prepared to cut things out of cities because they don't necessarily fit what you're going to be doing. Or be prepared to move something from one city to another. So you yeah. can put characters on the trail they need to be on to get through the the plot. Uh, so, yeah.
1: yeah. And if you listen to our old episodes, we did talk about a couple of possible... Uh, we, mm-hmm. we broke down, like, what are our favorite towns and why to start with? Yep. And what are some possible paths that can be neat to sort of hit on those Dwergar themes or hit on a harder rhyme theme that can lead you through to... So that when you get to those later chapters, it feels a bit more like a narrative story.
0: True enough. Uh, Well, we are now ending our strong beginnings.
1: Yeah. But, you know, we're going to start a new beginning whenever we talk about Witchlight. So I'm excited about that.
0: This is true. A new, new strong beginning. (laughs) But for now, we are going to close. And we're going to close by saying thank you to our listeners and thank you to our patrons who keep the lights on for us. Uh, If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash MMP. So, Teos, uh, where can people find you now that you are back in country?
1: Woo! Back in the USSA. No, that's not. Anyway, Um, uh, you can find me on my blog at alphastream.org. The latest is an article that kind of ties into this idea of beginnings. It's Why Do Heroes Leave Their Home Base Behind? It's all about uh, that concept of how adventures force us to leave where we started and we often don't look back. Uh, mm-hmm. Part two will drop by the time this podcast is out. You that is a find great me on read. Twitter at AlphaStream. Thank you. Uh, how about you, Sean? You can
0: find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can follow the podcast Twitter at Mastering D. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production. So, Teos, you've got italy behind you you've got madison wisconsin in front of you but what are you going to do right now
1: ah right now you better catch up on work sean (laughs) (laughs) there are all these emails in my inbox that's go kill kill some email yes exactly yes there you go crush
0: it